Welcome, one and all, to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Meg from Slady's ATL. Yes, it seems like I'm going through the entire Slady's ATL roster because they're all such awesome people. But in this episode, me and Meg talk about RPGs as a labor of love, our kind of musical backgrounds and interests, and then maybe the good and bad of bringing in real-world references and tropes into our games. I hope you enjoy this episode. to a new episode of the My RPG Podcast. Today's guest is Meg from Sladies. Will you please introduce yourself, Meg? Hey, I'm Meg. Um, I uh, play Tansy over on Sladies ATL, and uh, as I describe it, I am a general nuisance on the internet. A general nuisance on the internet. I love that. That's a great that's a great introduction. And I do want to obviously get to what you do with Ladies ATL. As the, anybody who's an avid listener to the podcast knows, I've had a, a several of the Ladies crew on. I'm a big fan. But before we jump all the way there, let's start at the very beginning. Meg, what is your first introduction into RPGs? So, actually, if we want to go way back, my, my first introduction to RPGs in general was actually an MMORPG that I played uh, back in my college days, if we're talking tabletop, uh, I was introduced to that by uh, a really good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Chris Sergi. Um, that, that's, I'm, I'm giving him by name because he also happens to be a music composer who does um, some D&D music stuff now. But he actually DM'd a one-shot for me and my roommates when I was still living uh, in New York. And um, after that, I started playing regularly at a table with him and my ex-boyfriend. And uh, the rest was history. <laughs> the tabletop community got stuck with me. <laughs> well, the reason I ask for RPGs is a lot, a lot of people, before they even get into TTRPGs like yourself, have played some form of RPG, be it you know like a Final Fantasy, a RuneScape, or something like that. So when they end up playing their first TTRPG, I, multiple times I've seen people go like, oh yeah, this is just like, you know, RuneScape. Oh yeah, this is just like, you know, wow, this is just like whatever, you know, uh, experience they've had before, because obviously video gaming has exploded. I mean, I, I always talk about the TTRPG renaissance, but video game has now just become part of main pop culture. So nobody I've, I've, I've met who's, you know, of a certain age range has not had an experience to a video game and most likely has touched, if not played an RPG. I mean, technically Pokemon can be viewed as an RPG if you want to. Technically, yeah. That's uh, my introduction was actually Vindictus, which is a Nexon game, and anybody familiar with Nexon at all knows how badly they like to nerf their games. It's it's insane. <laughs> um, but that's really if if we want to talk about my introduction into D and D itself and like the story format that it goes by, I actually was a very avid reader when I was younger. And the only way my teachers could get me to read was by reading fantasy books. So I was very familiar with that high fantasy setting and just fantasies in general. So, like, it was very easy for me to, like, put myself in that mindset because it was something that I was reading constantly anyway. 
you get familiar with the the types of tropes and the way that the story formats itself and you get familiar with the type of characters you want to play because they're the ones that you tend to familiarize yourself with the most uh, when you're reading those books. Like, there were a lot of characters that I came across. I'm like, I would love to be like them. And now I can. <laughs> and did you find yourself, because uh, I know you came obviously now from a traditional RPG background, then getting into a TTRPG, but you have this prior information knowing fantasy, high fantasy tropes, like you mentioned, and things like that. So did you find yourself leaning more towards role-playing or towards, like, the, you know, war gamey aspect of it? Like, were you trying to min-max? What were you doing? Um, so I am notorious for building broken characters um, in the sense that they are not min-maxed. They make zero sense in the way that they look on paper. So I actually recently played a warlock. I don't get to play this character anymore, but she was one of my favorites. I focused her more on the storytelling, the role-play aspect. And so she was specked out as a warlock, but I think I maybe used her warlock spells three times in the 10 plus episodes that I played her in, like sessions. So I am notorious for doing that. Granted, yeah, it that probably does volumes. Yeah. I know the warlock class is jokingly the, oh, and I do Eldritch Bolt every single round sort of class. So that, 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 that's really impressive. Yeah, and I think I only used her Eldritch Blast once. Oh, sorry, Eldritch Blast, yes. English, sorry. Oh, it's totally fine. I'm pretty sure I've said it like six different ways since playing her, but I think I only used that spell once or twice. Everything else, because she was a homebrewed pact, Um, she actually had Chill Touch and um, uh, Inflict Wounds. So I was actually more prone to use the inflict wounds than I was the Eldritch Blast. So it, it was it was interesting to play her because she was definitely a, a reluctant warlock. Um, you know, that's Tansy could probably be best described as uh an a tenfold version of me from high school. Um because she is just an anxious being. Um, <laughs> and makes her decisions because she is an anxious being, um, but, you know, also willing to throw down. So, like, to be fair, I also come from a theater background, too. So I tend to like to get into my characters' heads more than I like to get into the, I just want to get into a dungeon and just hack and slash through it. Um, I have a friend who DM'd a, a home campaign for us, and I'm pretty sure... I annoyed the shit out of him the one day. Oh, I'm sorry. It's swearing. Okay? You can curse. It's okay. Open. You're <laughs> so sorry. I should have asked first. You're um, good. I think I annoyed the shit out of him because we got to an encounter and I was playing a bard and I talked us out of combat. I mean, isn't that the, like, sometimes one of the best scenarios you can have is obviously I was a GM. I've had this happen a couple times to me and it, does kind of stink when you might have a great uh, encounter or something planned, but to see the players commit so much to being their character that they find a solution outside of the, you know, well, I roll a bunch of dice, I do a bunch of damage or cast a bunch of spells, it's really awesome, I would think. Well, you say that and you would think that, but that was also the second or third time I had done this during that campaign. <laughs> 
So, so um, you're making it a habit of ruining all all the GM's plans. I see. I see. Oh yeah, I just rolled really well on my charisma checks because it was never even really a thing of like I'm going to use my spells. Like I actually had this character put her weapons down and walk into ca- into combat unarmed once, like because it's what she would have done. That's something I always wanted to do. I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have an inkling towards monks for you know personal spirituality reasons and also because it was my first ever class that i created for myself when i got into ttrpgs and i know that uh, across the various editions and various games somebody will come up with this kind of like pacifist you know buddhism sort of uh, influenced monk uh, archetype and i always wanted to play the pacifist monk or pacifist cleric and things like that and do that sort of situation and and obviously because I, I gm so much i really have had the opportunity to really accomplish that with a pc i try it with some of my npcs but man i've always wanted to do that just to be able to walk into battle and be like i'm not going to be aggressive at all which is antithetical to what the game is about because as as you know i'm sure you know avid listeners have heard we know the history of of D comes from war gaming we know a lot of this is based off of these mechanics which felicitate felicitate solicitate um, combat over most uh, other options you can take. So I, I, I'm really impressed, Meg, when you're able to to step into something that technically, mechanically, this game, D&D, doesn't really push and still make it work. Oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite things. And of course, that's one instance where I didn't fully talk that out with the DM, but it was implied because she wasn't the best character in the world. So she had in a previous life been a spy so she's got a little bit of a seedy background and she was great to play too because she does a thing that i also do in my real life where uh she overshares but with a seed of like unbelievability to her stories so you never know how much of it's actually true and how much of it actually transpired so she was fantastic and i leaned more into that like reason over brute force because if she had been a spy in a previous life it would have been her prime objective to get information as opposed to you know essentially be an assassin or a cell sword so it was kind of trying to find that balance like obviously in the instances where that wasn't a possibility yeah, the, the the logic and reason went out the window and the weapons were drawn. And of course, we always, that's that's one thing that that DM was really good at, was really good at facilitating combat. So the fights were always interesting and they were never like, you know, well, you do this and they do this. And, the, you know, it, it was always very, like, colorful and well explained and um, just very immersive. So it just kind of felt like a seamless story, no matter which direction we went with it. And nothing seemed out of place, no matter how we went with it. And it was kind of an odd mismatched party anyway, because we had a character that was a libertarian orc. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a pacifist furbolg, a changeling rogue rogue no he was he was an artificer i apologize and uh my best friend was also in that campaign uh and i think you actually might be speaking with her as well because she also is in uh hunt for the heart charts with me um angela she plays celine she was playing uh an eric Hawkra named monty who was a germaphobe 
<laughs> I mean, all all those characters, and, and and you actually brought up your theater background, which uh, I do want to I do want to I do want to hit on because there seems to be a common theme with the people I talk to getting into uh, TTRPGs to where theater or music, it seems like are two giant realms that seem to breed um, people who are kind of predetermined to love TTRPGs. And with music, I can uh, totally understand because, you know, music was more in my background. I only have a small smattering of, you know, a year of theater, whereas, you know, I did music for, uh, God, you know, since I was a teenager, as a band for 10 years and things like that. So I, I, I know where the, the idea obviously comes in with, like, collaborati- collaborating with other people, understanding, like, the rise and fall. And obviously, music usually wants to be big and bombastic. Most musicians are like that. They mostly uh, end up being into heavy metal or rock, I also found out. So, like, the fantasy tropes of, like, you know, swords and dragons and heroes and victors and powers are already there. However, on the uh, other side, for the theater, um, people coming in from theater, is it is it is it a continuation of this uh, this thing I hear from actors all the time, to where like they just want to act. Actors want to act. They 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 really just want the opportunity to be outside of themselves and be the center of attention. And they do it for pennies. Obviously, they don't want to get paid pennies, but they do it for pennies because they love the act so much. So, does TTRPGs and D and D kind of trigger that or hit that in you as well? Um. Yes and no, because even in my everyday life, I don't really enjoy being the center of attention. So, like, the fact that D&D is more a collaborative effort, so it's basically just a collaborative storytelling. Um, It's basically a play without having a script. You're basically doing a lot of, um, oh my goodness, what is the word for it? Not ad-libbing. Improvisation. Improv, there we go. Sorry, it's been a long day, can you tell? Um... Yeah, you're doing a lot of improv, and so you're kind of having to riff off your party, and if you don't have a a dynamic, there we go, I can English, a dynamic that works well, um, you know, you get a lot of just characters that rub each other the wrong way and a very uncomfortable story. However, if I may blow your mind really quickly. (laughs) Please, do these. I also have a music background. And oh, binary and creative writing. <laughs> there we go. And, and the creative writing. I, yeah. I, I'm blowing, I'm probably blowing the peaks on my uh, audio, so apologies to the listeners there. But, like, that is the perfect trifecta of the three types of people. Because I, I did overlook, you know, friends of mine with English degrees, creative writing degrees, or, like, giant fantasy nerds who I also will be pushing into RPGs because I'm like, you're right there. You like it you all. Would, Just you would love one this. One die roll away. <laughs> you're one die roll away. You basically get to reenact your favorite stories. What is not to love? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, I've had friends who've written fan fiction and will, like, play mm-hmm. a game or read a book and be like, ah, that's not the way I would have done it. And then will tell me, oh, yeah, I've written up, like, ten pages of, like, how I would have changed the story of Final Fantasy XV. And, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's – that's so when I found that out about my friends, I was immediately like, yeah, absolutely. Like, what's that? You love Game of Thrones? Please play D&D. Or what's that? You're super interested in, you know – Star Wars and Star Trek, there's so many, you know, systems, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, obviously, like, if you like, you know, vampires and any sort of gothic horror stuff, like, werewolf, like, there's so many places you can go to, so, like, yeah, you, you, Meg, you've hit the perfect uh, triple threat there. Well done. Look, I didn't even try. I just, I just work here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ma'am, but this was, is Wendy's. <laughs> Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Um, 
Which is even funnier because I used to live with my sister and she's got two cats. So anytime one of the cats would show up on screen and like jump into my lap and want attention, I'm like, ma'am, this is a Wendy's um, before they got thrown off my desk. But yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the music department and our music department and our theater department in my high school were very intertwined. So if you were in choir or band, you typically ended up involved in the stage shows. Um, We did, obviously, like every high school does, you have your high school musical. Um, So I was involved with that a lot. And we did a thing called Playfest, where every grade level would put on a play. And then the, uh, the ticket sales, I believe, went towards charity or it went towards a scholarship fund for the school. I can't remember exactly, but because obviously this was quite a while ago. I'm not going to age myself, but it was a while ago. <laughs> so, you know, having involvement in that, uh, you know, even for a brief moment, even like whether it's theater or, you know, music, you have to be to some degree comfortable in front of other people. And it's different than the aspect of public speaking, which is just you in front of a bunch of people talking. Theater allows you to be whatever you want. You basically become a chameleon. You get to morph yourself into this character. You no longer exist. You are just this role. And it kind of hits the same thing in tabletop. So you get to create the skin that you wear that day. You know, so if you want to be a, a, an elf that, uh, wow, I'm, I'm really typecasting myself. If you want to be an, a wood elf that lives in the forest and is a druid and has a whole bunch of animal friends, I totally have played this character before. I'm not even going to lie to you and say that I haven't because I have, um, and I plan on doing it again. But, <laughs> you know, if that's the, if that's what you want to be that day, you can be that. If you want to be, uh, a Russian dwarf who talks to no one because she only talks to people who are her friends. And uh, the only way that you can befriend her is to drink her under the table, which is nigh on impossible. You can be that too. So it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like this outlet for escapism that everybody really likes to have and kind of craves. And, you know, it's a healthy way to do that without like, completely disassociating from reality if that makes any sense no that absolutely does make sense and it's funny you did mention the thing about doing the trope characters and yeah i think a lot of us who played rpgs know you're you know dark elf rogue ranger type or um you know obviously a wood elf ranger druid type which people tend to go into and i i fully embrace falling into those tropes because um I think it, it one creates a great point of reference for especially if somebody's new, right? So anybody who gets into an RPG, I found frequently when they get into the RPG, if uh, they say like, oh, you know, I liked Hunger Games or, hey, I liked, you know, The Lord of the Rings. I'm like, oh, so you want to play like a Legolas-like character or a Katniss-like character? And then they say, yeah. And I'm like, okay, a ranged fighter or a ranger elf is perfect for that or you know hey i really like avatar the last airbender okay fine you probably want to do like a four elements monk or a storm source like recognizing those tropes or those archetypes that they really like and then turning around and tuning that to them hey i really like wolverine great you're a berserking you know barbarian you know a totem of a wolverine like it's all you know there so i i think it's a great way to to use as an in 
And also, like, uh, this is at the end of the day, you know, like you mentioned, an escape. It's a power fantasy. And, you know, if your player, and I'm obviously saying this from a GM's perspective, but I, as, as a player, you, you should be conscious of this and have an open dialogue log with your GM also, is if you really want to just play Van Helsing from, you know, or you want to play, you know, an Errol Flynn type swashbuckler character, just tell your GM. They will most likely be like, great, perfect. I know exactly how to curtail this story or curtail the encounters towards you. So you can have that awesome moment to where, you know, you, you encounter the vampire lord as, you know, Van Helsing. Or you can have that awesome moment to where, like, as your space, you know, Jean-Luc Picard character, you have to deal with, you know, the Borg or something like that. Like, there's so many options that that opens up for your gm because they know exactly kind of where you want to direct your character if you just use a reference or a character that you know that you're kind of biting slash ripping off right and and it's kind of like looking at what nikki's done with hunt for the heart shards where she has taken the DD structure and her love of sailor moon and kind of merged them together to create this uh high fantasy meets modern day technology meets magical girl and you can do this a lot with these stories like there's some good guides there there's some good bones there with D&D 5e there's some really good systems that are very uh genre androgynous um where they are built to make a viable system for you to play just about anything in um and i'm actually currently looking for something like that right now because i had an idea and i've never gm'd in my entire life and i'm just like but i have ideas and i need to see if they work (laughs) oh that's actually awesome because uh, one of the things i would talk about is obviously whether you've had the opportunity to game master run a game of your own so now obviously i know that you have not but you obviously have some ideas, right? And uh, are you just looking for a system that kind of works with that idea? Is, is that what it sounds like you're dealing with? Um, essentially, yes. Because while, while D&D is great, it does have its restrictions. So there's not a whole lot of information as far as tech goes. And because there's so many source books, it's really difficult as a first-time GM to get into it when you have to purchase all of the gaming material as well. I apologize. There's going to be a little bit of noise in the background. Um, My cat has this floppy fish toy that he is obsessed with. And it we have hardwood floors, so it smacks on the ground. And I know for a fact my condenser picks it up. So I apologize in advance. You, 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 you're totally going to be fine. I run a noise gate <laughs> against most of my tracks anyway, so don't worry about it. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree that D&D does tend to push you towards a specific type of game, a specific type of setting. Like I said or a little bit earlier, you know, it's very heavy on the combat. It's assuming, you know, combat's done in kind of a condensed, you know, range. There's not too many things that let you hit outside of, you know, mostly melee or 30 feet. So if you're trying to do anything kind of futuristic or maybe like, I mean, even space, I mean, space is obviously more difficult, but like even naval battles are hard in D&D because they don't have like a proper naval combat system set up. So I've talked to so many GMs trying to figure that out. My suggestion to you is there's a lot of great genre agnostic systems like GURPS, Open Legend, and Fate. Now, each of those will have different levels of uh difficulty i think if you want to go with something that's really light on the rules and the different types of stats i say the fate system is really great for that fate core especially because it even simplifies it a little bit more and uh it's 
Sean Regnostic or GURPS as well, which is obviously the universal role-playing system that uh, our, our friends in Europe especially love. Uh, if you listen to the, the episode with our good friend Dan Wallace from Germany, he tells us a lot about GURPS. So that's my suggestions to you because I, I think there's no shortage of systems out there. Oh, yeah. that's And that's I had had um, the Cypher system recommended to me, which is what, uh, yeah, it's what Numenera's uh, run on. Um so I've been looking into that rule book and I'm trying to track it down at local stores, but um, haven't had a chance to stop into the one uh, nearby to see if they carry it even or if they can get it. I know I can, but, you know, if I can support a local game store, too, I would like to do that in the process. But um, I mean, there's also all kinds of really cool, uh, even just like role play heavy games that have been released recently. So um by the time this airs, uh, I am going to be sitting at a table with Amanda, and we are playing, uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of the system, but it essentially just helps you build a soap opera. <laughs> like, telenovela-style, like, soap opera-esque uh, role-play game, um, which should be really interesting. The The playbooks are really just over-the-top and dramatic, and it is... Amazing. Um, I actually just recently purchased myself Good Society uh, because anybody who knows me personally knows that I am absolutely obsessed with Jane Austen. Um, favorite author, hands down. I know Pride and Prejudice like the back of my hand. I think I've seen the 2005 version of the movie a at least a hundred times at this point. Um, I am just considered the authority on that book with my friends. So... The fact that somebody built a system around this and allows you to basically build a Regency-era Jane Austen-style uh, roleplay story while you're playing this is just phenomenal. I was so here for that. <laughs> I mean, what's great about this now wave of uh, this renaissance now of the tabletop RPG as well as just the tabletop gaming uh, fandom is the fact that we can get super, super niche and super, super specific about the things we love. I mean, I fawning over the potential to one day play a wrestling RPG because, you know, wrestling for me, especially growing up, was like, oh, it's comic books, but theater, physical theater at the same time. Like, it's the two things I love, right? It's, it's, it's all these absurd characters who are over the top yet who are hyper-athletic and playing to the crowd all in real time, partially improvised. Yes, they know how it's going to end, but, you know, anything could happen and you can mess up a move or uh, you have to change things on the fly. So I fell in love with that. So I had always wanted to take that aesthetic where it's, you know, we all know it's a part play, but at the same time, we're still trying to execute and do our best and then play that into an RPG also because I just want to play fun, uh, you know, like luchadors and wrestlers. So like, I love the fact that we're now in a, in a world to where, like, if I go, like, I would love a, you know, kaiju-specific RPG system. Oh, well, it, there is one. Thanks, Internet. Or I'd like a wrestling one. Or a Formula One race car driver simulator system. It's there. Well, and that's the thing. You were talking about wanting to do, like, a wrestler-based uh, RPG game. And I actually think that there is a rule book that exists for this. Oh, 
Oh, there definitely is Hyper RPG, which is a great Twitch and YouTube channel for all my listeners out there. I actually know some of those people on there. Uh, does a, did a wrestling show uh, pre obviously coronavirus uh, madness, where yeah, they people would show up and then you know the GM slash announcer commentator would kind of dictate what's going on. The players would roll as they're creating the match together or having you know backstage beef about you know who's going to win and who's going to lose and who's messing up you know their position at getting to the top of the business. Like it's very hilarious because if you're also a wrestling nerd, which I'm a wrestling nerd, to hear them using the insider terms is you know very funny to to to, to see the true love that they have for the fandom. So yeah, I'm, I mean I'd be totally into that if I can ever be a player. I feel like I'm an eternal GM. I uh, you know that's I hear that a lot from my friends who do GM, where it's like it's so hard to find a table to be a player at, but it's so easy to find a table of players. Because everybody wants to play because, I mean, it's fun. But the, you know, the hardest position is the one to where, I shouldn't say the hardest position, I'll say the position that requires a different type of works and skill set is the position of the GM because, uh, and, you know, self-promotion is all I do. Like me and our good friend Michael Gibson had a conversation about, you know, the modern GM usually is the kind of cat wrangler. It's usually the person who's putting together like everybody's schedules to make sure they find the right time and make sure everybody shows up on time, make sure your character's, you know, having their moment and just getting taken care of. So you're actively putting more responsibility on yourself. And what's interesting is in a weird sort of, I don't know, masochistic sort of way, or yeah, I think masochism is the right term uh, in English. Like you kind of do it and you know it's more work, but you're like, I know I can do this. I know I, I want everyone to have fun. So you, you keep doing it. And then whenever somebody says like, hey, we can run, a, anybody wants to run a new game, you're like, well, you know, I'm already a GM. I already have worlds. I'm already accustomed to it. Sure, I'll put it on my shoulders and do it. And I, I, maybe, maybe you're reading that same thing from your friends who GM, but like, I, I feel like it's partially also on us GMs to be like, well, you know, if somebody is a GM, I will be the GM. Let me step in. Yeah. You know, which is fair, but that's, I know I have seen uh, a different side of this coin too, where you see a lot of players who are really hard on their GMs for some reason. And I think that they also forget, and it's, it's not everyone, obviously, it's not a blanket statement, but I, I feel like people forget that the GM is also a player too. Like, yeah, they're, they're doing all of the prep work and they're preparing this world for you to play in, but you're also responsible for however many bodies need to be added to this world. You are playing so many different NPCs and, you know, that's whether you are able to differentiate between personalities and things like that. Like, yeah, DMing is a lot of work. It's a multifaceted job. But in a way, you're also getting to be a player. So like your players influence your world the most, but you also get to influence that world as well. So, like, the last um, major campaign I played in, outside of uh, just Slady's ATL, um, that's our party unintentionally adopted one of the NPCs. And we started out hating this NPC, and in the course of, like, two sessions, our DM had us just so in love with this NPC. He was a little shit at the beginning. And then, like, we went through this whole session of actually uh, playing a supplemental thing for uh, your tabletop games uh, by... We played Tooth or Truth from Pen of Smiting. 
And the things that were coming out about that character, like getting a little deeper into what the character was about and who he was as a person, like all of a sudden we were all like ready to actually like sign paperwork and adopt this kid as, as our child. Um, and I say that, but he was like 20 years old. So it was just, it's very interesting to see uh, when GMs get to play these characters and really get to let them shine because at the end of the day, they're still players too. And yeah, and I don't want to come across as I feel like, oh, the, the sacrifice we make as GMs. Like you mentioned, Meg, I get to be not just a player as well. I get to be all the other players that are not the people at my table, which means when I have my idea for that pacifist monk, yeah, you know what? I might not be able to play it as a player, but that character 100% exists in my world, and I've had the opportunity to play that as, you know, my awesome Loxodon by, by the name of Chime. Because I'm like, here's a great idea, and I can immediately put it into my world. And I've known players who, you know, and I, I feel like there's obviously a million YouTube videos and articles, so I, I don't think I'd need to do this, but I could have a whole episode where I just talk about sort of like the archetypes of players or the stereotypes of players you run into. One of them is the, is the, is the player who has a billion backup characters because they're so creative or they're so worried about dying. They're like, well, okay, in case we need a barbarian, I got this guy, his name is Ormung, and in case we need like a sorcerer, I've got her name is Vistia. And I've got, so like... I get to be that person, but I actually get to play those characters because anybody I create, I can just immediately pop into my world. And that's one of the great rewarding things is the fact that anytime I have an idea, I don't have to wait until next campaign or wait until my character dies or you know finishes their story. I can just be like, bop, now it exists in my world. Now I can play it. Uh, right. And that's, I was going to say, that's you did not need to be that loud with that call out about having so many characters because... Uh, I definitely was trying to resist paying for D&D Beyond because I am of the mindset of if it's for free, it's for me. But I got to the point where I had six characters in like built in my profile and I would just frequently remove a character because they were part of like a charity game or uh, a one-off that I did with friends or you know, something like that. And it's like, I wasn't really super attached to them. And I was just like, okay, except I got down to the point where I have six characters and they are all solid characters and I cannot bear to part with them. So I'm like, but I need more spaces. So, <laughs> cause I've got more characters that I need to build. But again, it's kind of the same thing. I just get all of these ideas. So the last one, um, I think the last one I built was a, a two foot tall warforged uh, porcelain doll named Clarissa Rue. She's a she's a fighter, and her sword is literally a sharpened letter opener. She is insane and chaotic, and I love playing her. And you know, it was just a silly thing I, where I was thinking one day, I'm like, you know, what what if what if Warforged could be anything that you can imagine? So why couldn't a Warforged be a porcelain doll? That would be hilarious. And I built it. And it is hilarious. <laughs> See, my favorite thing about this community and the thing I keep you know, beating the drum of is the fact that we feed each other with our positivity and our ideas and our character concepts to where like as soon as you mention like, yeah, a Warforged, why can't it be a two foot tall porcelain doll? I immediately started thinking like, why Why was I always thinking of Warforged as these tall suits of armor? You're right. I could have a Warforged tiny robot thing. And then I immediately I'm like, wait a minute. 
I, I just played, you know, the recent Ratchet & Clank remaster on the PlayStation 5. So I was like, a, a, a tabaxi is basically a long box. And then a, a tiny Warforge is basically Clank. So I can have my little robot sidekick and I can be a tabaxi who's an inventor artificer. I'm like, it's all there. Like, immediately you you, tr- you triggered the spark in my mind. And now I'm like coming up and creating justifications in the world for, you know, these two to exist. And obviously laughing because I get to play, you know, a game or a trope or uh, characters that I like. Like... That's the beauty of this um, community, this this fandom that we're in, is, you know, whenever you talk to a GM or a PC, everybody will be like, oh, let me tell you about this character, let me tell you about this encounter, let me tell you about this great idea, and all this stuff like that. And it, the, the passion, the exuberance, the excitement, it's just a, a positive feedback loop to where it, it encourages the person who's listening to it to be like, oh my god, that's a brilliant idea, I've never thought of that before, let me put that in my world, or let me try that myself. Right. And that's, I, I love that. I love feeding off of other people. Like, even once your characters are built playing with other people, you know, you interact in such a way that it feeds into that character. So even if it is a one-off character, you can go and play it again. Or, you know, based on conversations you had in game, you go and build another character. Um, You know, like you were saying, why do I always think of Warforged as these big hulking like war machines? And then my brain immediately went to but what if the Colossus of Rhodes, but Warforged? So, like, you're talking massive, like, Iron Giant, Colossus of Rhodes, uh, just something like that. I'm like, well, maybe now I need to make that character, too. <laughs> and me as a GM is like, oh, that's a big boss battle. That's a, you know, you come into town. I might point out the, you know, artifact, you know, similar to classical roads is that we all know from uh, our histories to be like, yes, you know, here's the artifact. The great guardian of the city once, you know, said that it activated when the city was in a time of peril. Next thing you know, some arcanic trickery happens or maybe a a dark force, uh, you know, reignites the power inside and it starts rampaging. You have a, you know, 35, 40 foot tall, you know, uh, boss monster you guys got to watch out for. So, like, yeah, that's the beauty of this. This is a, like a back and forth. It's like music. You know, both of us mentioned now our musical backgrounds. Like, this is like when you're jamming or improvising with people. And then I hear the drummer starts doing a thing. And I'm going to, okay, I can accent with that. And the bassist changes key. And I'm like, okay, now we're in that key. Like, you're just feeding off each other. I was just going to say, and then somebody throws on a random key change. and But it works. And it takes you in a completely different direction. You also just read my mind partially because something that I am expanding on that I was going to write as a series of short stories um, and turning into a playable world. And one of the cities actually does have a mechanic like that where it has this like Colossus of Rhodes style like guardian at the front of the city. And because it's already heavily guarded, uh, if you know, if you come in and you're definitely like hands down a threat to the city, it basically brings itself to life and it will fight you <laughs> or pick you up and extract you from the city or from the the area so you can't even get in. So what you're getting at was also something that I had thought about. I'm like, man, that would be such a cool mechanic. But like, it would be a cool boss fight. But what if it's possible to not have it be a boss fight at the same time like you said with some kind of arcane trickery where something happens and oh well the giant guardian of the town is now attacking the town it's now attacking the adventuring party or you know there, there's so many routes you can go with that but yeah, yeah you, or, you definitely or, read or, my or, mind with that <laughs> and, 
And, and here's my thing. I mean, like, like a true musician, I have a bag of tricks so I can pull stuff out. I've done a similar thing, but not with a Colossus. I've done a similar thing with a bridge to where I, it's, you know, just a sacred bridge built with off of an old tree that would judge your heart. So the idea is you can't cross the bridge by being, you know, evil hearted, meaning evil alignment, or else you will burst into flames, right? So like having the hairs on my players' necks go up as they're neutral or have done some bad things to be like, I hope this bridge doesn't light me on fire. Like, that's a thing that, you know, like, I love that concept. I, and, and that's probably something I heard, you know, or, or learned from some, somebody else, right? So it, it, there's this, it's weird. It, it's, you know, I, I feel like it's the lick. If, if anybody here knows anything about the lick, L-I-C-C, I think is the meme name for it. There's a musical kind of passage, a series of notes that's prevalent all throughout jazz, which has been around for what feels like over a hundred years where we all reference to thrown into our improvisations and stuff like that. To me, I think RPGs have the same sort of thing to where like everybody has their Agrabah sort of allergy, right? Allegory, right? Everybody has their, you know, underwater Atlantis. Everybody has their, you know, frozen tundra with ice queen, you know, uh, or, you know, their Narnia reference. Like everybody has these sort of, shared stories these shared archetypes throughout all of our worlds and i i think that's a beautiful thing that regardless of you know who is the gm and what world is being created we all really want to play it and re 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 kind of use or reincarnate these sort of tropes that we've all seen right oh for sure now let me ask you a question as a, a dm do you ever uh find yourself dropping in references to like media or books or something and uh your players actually catch on to what you are referencing like yeah does that ever just excite you beyond belief i mean i mean sometimes too much honestly <laughs> um when, when when i was when i was an early gm i and put in perspective at the time of this recording i'm only about six years in um but when i was an early gm um, I was so excited with like, oh, look at this clever reference this name this name is, or look at this brilliant foreshadowing or illusion and stuff I did that sometimes I would end up like if my players didn't catch it, I'd actually just spill the beans a little bit to them because I was like, oh, I want you guys to acknowledge me. Look how hard I worked, right? <laughs> and, and you know, I, I think I had a conversation with one, one of the other podcast members about this. I, I had to understand sometime, you know, into my tenure of being a GM to where I'm like, if they get that, that's great. But what that services is not supposed to be something that they have to get. It's really servicing me. And it's one of those things to where I can only hope that they understand that, oh, wait, is that a, is that a reference to, you know, like Machiavelli's The Prince? Or is that a reference to like that old, you know, uh, TV show from the 70s? Like, yeah, I, I would love it if they noticed that. I would love it if they noticed that the, the horse, you know, riding um, troopers are like a reference to Chips, you know, the television show. Or I would love if they noticed my, obviously, I'm a big music fan. So I love that they notice that when they go to a certain type of the world, I always play music cues, which are old jazz and funk and soul standards, despite the fact that it has a very like weird ninjas and samurais effect, because I decided a long time ago when I was creating this world, I'm like, that's the theme I want. I want these things for to be so antithetical to, you know, what's going on. So next thing you know, you hear Michael Jackson's like Billie Jean on a koto while you're doing a, a battle and you're like, what's going on? What the hell am I, am I doing? But I, I want them to like evoke that sort of reaction. But I, I do have to remember, and this is, again, like what comes with age is like there is sometimes a little, a little bit of breaking verisimilitude 
And, uh, you know, for those of you who, who don't like big words, uh, I totally understand. Uh, basically the believability of the world, right? It's when you're watching a movie and it's going really great. And then all of a sudden they turn around and they're like, Hey, are you using your Apple iPhone to do that thing? Oh yeah. Apple iPhones are the best, right? I just got the latest one. It's the series 74. That, that's sort of like, Oh, that's obviously an ad breaks you out of the, you know, movie, it breaks you out of the show or whatever you're into. So when I do go for a joke or, or reference a meme or something like that, I try to be a little bit lighter now because I realize as soon as I do drop that in there, while it can be a great reference point and we can all have a laugh, it will immediately break the session to be like all of a sudden like, and this happened to me just uh, Monday night, one of my players was making a great speech and is saying, you know, talking about politics and whatnot and goes, you know, when you play the game of and there's right there, I knew my player was about to say, oh, you know, when you're playing the Game of Thrones. And he play, he told, he had her character stop and go, the Game of Kingdoms and politics. And I was like, ah, I see what is happening. Because he recognized he was about to go to really tropey territories. And that would have obviously made us all laugh and crack up, but it would have broken the versatility. Right. And that's, I mean, unless you've baked that into your story already in the sense of, like, think about how they did that with... uh Bioshock Infinite. You had a lot of these modern day songs that were done in the old, like, 20 style. You got a lot of them in ragtime, um, that similar style, and they explained it away with these, like, terrors in time existing in this place where you were getting that inspiration, you were getting that modernized music. And then they were basically just translating it to their style of music. So unless that's baked in, it can be really jarring. And yeah, it can, as a player, remove you really drastically and almost like sharply from what's happening around you. Granted, sometimes those are great. Well, I will ask you also this, like, as the player, because obviously my players have been enduring it for so long, I think they're immune or numb to my uh, my, 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 my uses and my references when I do it. But when you, the player, are, are playing the game and you're buying into this lore, you're buying to these characters and being like, oh, yes, we need to find the six pieces of the sky key, which will, you know, gives access to the fields of Elysium so we can bring our, our, our friend back or bring back this great, you know, warrior spirit, which will help us out. And then all of a sudden a reference gets thrown in there. Do you, do you like it? Do you think it's one of those things that's only serves as a comedy bit? Does it take you out of the world? Like, that's also my, 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 my worry sometimes is I'm like, while I think I can get a laugh out of them, sometimes uh, I'm going to pick on Marvel movies because I love them. Uh, sometimes I, they go for the joke when I'm like, oh, you should have stayed in that serious moment. And I, and I worry sometimes the reference does that to where like, oh, you went for a funny joke or a funny, you know, uh, bit, but you really should have stayed in that serious moment. It depends entirely how it goes down. So if it's worked in in such a way that it is just seamless to what's happening, I love that. If it's really shoehorned in there, though, that's really what kind of detracts from what's happening and makes them less effective. So it's all about your timing. So it's like it's like with comedy and it's like with music. It's it's all dependent entirely on your timing. You can throw off an entire performance, whether it be theater, a comedy show, um, a, a a jazz concert. You throw off the tempo for a song. You come in two beats too early. Um, in a song, you walk on stage like a, a, a beat before you're supposed to, and it completely throws off the scene and throws everybody else off too. So it can be like that, but 
if you time it just right, it can work really well. And I'm just a big fan of the timing. Like, I love dropping in weird references and jokes when I play. Um, I've been known to get uh, carded at my tables because we have uh, learned that we need extra safety cards at our table. So we have some that are just like oof and yikes. Um, So anytime somebody drops in a particularly good pun, it's just oof. (laughs) Um. But yeah, I think it just, it just kind of depends. So like I had, uh, my bard, uh, that, that was the seedy history of being a spy, um, before she became a bard. Her song of rest was Wait from Sweeney Todd. So anytime we would stop and we would do like a short rest, I would do the song of rest and I would actually sing, uh, Mrs. Lovett's song Wait from Sweeney Todd to the party. So, that worked out okay you know it depends on your musical choices too when you're playing a bard and that's just that's just my notes for playing the musical characters if you're doing a vocally based bard you have to be intricate about your musical choices so like if you're going to use modern music that's great you also don't have to perform at the table and i think that that's really weird that that's become the standard for bards that People just expect you to perform every time you use a spell at the table. Yeah, I've heard that before. And, and you know, I haven't ever forced a character to do that unless, like, we're comedically saying, like, oh, you know, I I, I say a fancy tomb or I, I seduce them. I'm like, okay, yeah, tell me how you seduce them. Like, just so we can all laugh <laughs> at the table to see your smooth move or pickup line, right? But I, I, I do – I have heard that from other sources and online uh, I, and, you know, I always take online stuff with a, a little bit of salt here because the internet does have the ability to magnify the minute and then, of course, at the same time suppress the majority uh, or the serious. But, um, th- yeah, there's a weird sort of thing that's happening maybe because of the, the Twitch and streaming world or maybe just because of uh, a small contingent of the fandom to where all of a sudden – well, if you're going to play this character, I anticipate you to be able to sing or or come up with you know rhyming limericks, or uh, you know if you're going to play a, a very interesting you know backstory character, it's very sad. Well, you better be ready to be able to act or cry on notice when a big role playing thing happens. And I'm like, I, I I don't think we want to put that much pressure on people. This is an escape, and and that sounds more like work and stress. Now I know some people are theatrical or actors, and they love that. I have have I had. Uh, and have actors and, and theater people in my uh, games and they've been the ones to pull tears out of me and tears out of other people at the table and then unlock some sides of themselves because they finally got a chance to play the really, really in-depth character for, you know, five years straight. But that's not the norm. That's who they are and that's the game they like to play. I know guys who don't like to do any voices and just speak and say like, I well, my character, he does this. And I can say, oh, yeah, so you say something cool and interesting, you rolled well, totally fine, we'll just move on with that. You don't have to try to be impressive. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a good way to handle it. But, you know, I think a lot of the pressure comes and, you know, it, I, I, I said what I said. It's got a lot to do with the popularity of Critical Role. And I know we put a lot of pressure on Critical Role, but Critical Role has also put a lot of pressure on uh, tabletop streaming specifically because everybody expects the streamers to be like Matt Mercer. 
Um, they expect them to be like these professional voice actors and actors being the keyword there. You know, they expect this from people who are streaming their games. And to expect them to be entertaining is not unreasonable. To expect them to be something they're not is. And that's where that line needs to be drawn. You know, not everyone is going to be Matt Mercer. Not everybody is going to be a voice actor or like doing voices. Um, some of us came from theatrical backgrounds. Some of us come from musical backgrounds. Some of us are writers and we tell really great stories, but we may not act well. And while I understand that and it is fun to watch those things sometimes, we also have to remember too, with the popularity of streaming, that it's a show at that point. Once you decide to put that that game out into the public sphere like that, you're no longer playing your game at your table for yourself. You're playing your game at a table for an audience. And it's your responsibility to entertain that audience. So, and, and that's, I'm not criticizing anybody at all for wanting to stream their games. It's just, these are things that you kind of have to remember before you get into that. Like, we all love sharing our stories, but not everything needs to be a streamed game. Um, and not everyone necessarily needs to be a streamer when it comes to tabletop RPG. And I know that's not a popular opinion. Um, but you know, it's, it's why people get a lot of frustration though, too, because I've seen people talk about wanting to stream and then you hear nothing about it afterwards because they tried to stream once and had like little to no interest in it. Um, and it just kind of tanks for them, but you know, it, it's just like either the idea wasn't there or they weren't comfortable in front of the camera. So it's just like, it, it's like we get this weird pressure to move our tables to a public audience and to be like a very large and very large budgeted tabletop stream and it makes everything very daunting. And like that is the only way to do things and makes it kind of the baseline in the norm when really you would probably have more fun, if not just as much fun, just sitting around a table and playing with your friends without having an audience or sitting in a Zoom call because we are living in the time of a pandemic and uh, realistically should not be around people sitting in a Zoom call with people and playing a game and just shooting the shit and having a great time. You know, you can make those jokes that you and your friend group are comfortable with, but a larger audience might not be. You don't have to watch what you're saying because you don't know who's watching your streams. You know, it's it's basically kind of a catch-22. No matter what you do, somebody's going to be upset. <laughs> sure, and I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot we can talk about in that, but... I find in those cases, and again, I'm only speaking from my perspective, and I'm not somebody who I've been on a few stream games, mostly as a PC to help out, not ever ever something long term frequently like you have. But um, I'm of the understanding that whenever you encounter people, especially with this quote unquote critical role effect, Matt Mercer effect, which I, I know pretty damn well. I mean, I started playing the game around the time of that show. I started meeting people in the, the fandom and actively trying to recruit them using that show as, as an infection vector because I thought it was an amazing stream to have. And then 
as time goes on, realizing and hearing about some of these problems where people had the expectation of every GM to be a uh, prolific actor, voice actor with a million voices and a giant board of, you know, a Dwarven Forge custom minis or a, a, you know, PC gallery of people who can pull from every emotion and have been acting for 20 plus years. Um, so I've heard those cries before. I feel like the people who make those, though, aren't really people who are ever really playing RPGs. I feel like they're people who are only there to watch something as entertainment because anybody who's played an RPG understands that. And, and I, I mean this, honestly, I, I'm not blowing smoke up any of my, my game uh, games, you know, butts or uh, any of my players, butts, but like I have never been entertained as much by a critical role episode as I have been by my games by sitting around with my friends who come to my table or my virtual table and their silly voices and their silly acting and my stupid, awful voices and acting and attempts at doing anything legitimately uh, worthy of uh, praise have been the most exciting, the most gut-wrenching, the most depressing. Like I've gone through the gamut of emotions and I always thank them after every session because like it's a pleasure for them to have given me that time and it's a pleasure to be able to play with them and to bond with them and have them believe in this BS bullshit world that I created. So anybody who's ever actually played an RPG with a group that they like and enjoy will realize that like, no, hell no, I don't expect them to be Matt Mercer and I don't want them to be Matt Mercer or Laura Bailey or Travis Willingham or whatever because that's that's not the energy. That's not the the the, the things I enjoy. The, the, and this is something a creator gets as well. I mean, you know, having released two albums and played, you know, my my, my handful of shows with my band for a time, I never made money. Um, I, 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 this is a quick tangent, but let me just say this can relate to anybody who's streaming too. The amount of time I spent practicing and changing guitar strings and going to lessons and I think all, if you count all that up, I have probably made you know. A, a hundredth or a thousandth of how much money I've made on gigs and shows from all the food I had to have had and gas and all that. But the true enjoyment was being with my friends, making music, something special together, even if we thought it was interesting and the rest of the world didn't, or the rest of the bar just wanted us to play covers, playing our songs, like at, like all that was the true victory. So as a streamer, you must go into this like any other creative profession with the idea that the journey is rewarding in and of itself because that outcome is not guaranteed. That audience is not guaranteed. And to any GM and DM who's scared, let me tell you, enjoy that journey, regardless of whether you get a million views, regardless of whether you get, you know, a bunch of praise. If you just enjoy running that game or sitting in on that game, if you're a PC, then that should be the reward in and of itself. It's a labor of love, but it's it's a worthwhile labor of love. It, it's like you were saying, you know, making music and playing shows and putting in more money than you got back out of it. Trust me, I am so intimately familiar with this as I am a jewelry designer uh, in, in my full-time life, so... You want to talk labor of love, the amount of money that I have dumped into that and seen only a fraction of it back. I get it. It's it's the same type of deal. You can you can put all of this work into it and, you know, if you enjoy it, that's the thing that matters. If you're not expecting anything back from it, that's even better. Um, and it's always kind of pleasantly surprising when you do get something back from it as well. Like even just like you're saying, seeing your players enjoy what you've built. 
having a laugh with your friends, you know, that's sometimes worth all of the effort. Like, I would go out of my way to make my friends laugh at the table. Um, obviously, in a way that played into what we were playing and just seeing that <laughs> that one joke land because I know somebody's had a bad day and it landed in such a way that made them laugh is worth more than any other time that I may have put into this. And, and you know what? You, you hit on something as we're sort of wrapping up with the episode here that I love. And it's the fact that, like, we... And, I mean, we're recording this podcast that each of us has worked a long day and we're tired. But you get this energy. You get this high. This this, And so many times my players have told me, like, oh, man, work was so tough. Or, oh, man, my life is so tough. And I've had people come to the table who are dealing with loss of the family, loss of a pet, loss of or, you know, job insecurity or losing their job. And so many difficult things. But they're like, oh, man, I really needed that game tonight. Or, man, I really look forward to that game. Or, man, I really appreciate you helping me out escape my own troubles and worries and that's a you know not 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 choking up here but you know it it does make me emotional at times that to me is so uh you know what and and not a religion sense i'm so blessed and so honored to have that ability uh that they that i can do that for them i can give that to them so yeah i mean always going for always going to 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 enjoy yourself and enjoy the people around you and help i mean that's that's the beautiful thing about what we do for sure. Oh, man, you, you, you got a sort of tearjerker there, man. <laughs> so if people want to talk to you, listen to you, or see any of the things you do, what is the best means to contact? Uh, so you guys can actually find me through Twitter. Um, I am at Morlisair. It's M-O-R-L-A-S-A-I-R. Um, you can find me through there. I also do a podcast that is currently on hiatus just because we're trying to get our, we're doing some reformatting and putting our ducks in a row where I basically just sit around and do this, but with film. Um, and that is called film fatales. And you can find that on Twitter as well at fatales cast, but that's, I run both of those pages so you can get at me that way. So I'm not that interesting, I promise. <laughs> no, no, I, I actually, I actually love, I love that. I love the analyses and things like that in regards to any sort of media. Uh, I, I, you know, usually I work with two screens, and the second screen is always, you know, some sort of video essay or some sort of content or podcast or something because I, I just need to be stimulated, especially when doing it monotonous work on my laptop. But yeah. So for those of you listening, obviously it's the My RPG podcast, which you can find at Podbean, at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other places where podcasts are found. If you have any questions or concerns or want to be on the podcast, the Gmail is myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. My personal Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table.